It was 2 a.m. Tuesday morning in college. I uh, had gotten into the whole procrastinating thing, so it was the night before a term paper was due, and so I was riding high in adrenaline trying to get this thing done, when all of a sudden I hear this crashing sound in the hallway. And so I was kind of curious. I peek, look through the door, and I see a friend of mine standing in the hallway, his books scattered all over the floor, and he was looking straight ahead, eyes wide open, but not saying anything. And so I come up to him, and I ask him, are are you okay? And he kind of mumbled, yeah, and I didn't think too much of it. It was a little bit weird. He seemed a little bit off, but wasn't going to press him on it. Well, then about five minutes later, all of a sudden, I hear this repeated banging up against my door, and I'm like, what is going on? I open it. He's standing there. Again, blank look on his face, looking straight at me, and I ask him, is there something I can help you with? Is, you know, is everything okay? And nope. And so I close the door. Well, two seconds later, there it is. He's running up against my door, you know, just banging his head. I'm like, okay, if this is some kind of a joke, like, I'm super busy. I need to get this done. And all of a sudden, he kind of looks at me, and he closes his eyes, and he starts snoring. Standing up, he's snoring in front of me. Finally, okay, this is some practical joke gone wrong. I start shaking him, like, you need to knock this off. And I'll never forget the look on his face. He just looks around, looks at me what am I doing here? How did I get here? He had sleptwalked the whole way down the hallway. Now, I don't know how you carry 20 pounds worth of books and sleepwalk and not know what you're doing. That's exactly what he had pulled off. And I was thinking about that, looking at Revelation 3 for tonight. That whole sleepwalking thing, maybe you're not a chronic sleepwalker like that, but have you ever found yourself sort of sleepwalking through life? No, call it coasting or going on autopilot, where you're living life you're trying to hide certain things, you're trying to make it through certain things, you're trying to focus on you and how you can get through it, whatever baggage, whatever sins, whatever shame you're struggling with, you try to put that on the back burner and move forward. It's, it's this tendency we have called self-righteousness. We're constantly looking to justify ourselves, and if anything gets in the way of that, we don't want people to know Now, we're starting this walk to the cross tonight, these next six weeks of Lent. That's what we're going to be doing, watching the Lord and his life unfold, his passion, his love for us. Are we sleepwalking through life? Are we missing what our Lord has in mind for us? And if we are, we need to wake up and we need to repent. See, history tells us that the Christians in Sardis, they had a a similar sleepwalking problem. So let me give you some background on them. So centuries before Jesus spoke these words to them in Revelation, Sardis was known as this inconquerable city. It was located way up on a high cliff. Nobody could get up there. And in fact, there was a saying in the ancient world that capturing Sardis, you said that if you're talking about something that was virtually impossible. I'll use it in a sentence. Pastor Johnny running a marathon is like capturing Sardis. It's not going to happen. That's the idea. Except for Sardis, it did happen, not just once, but twice. And it didn't happen because of superior military technology or sheer manpower overcoming them. No, it happened twice because their watchmen fell asleep on the job. They let the enemy waltz right in without them even knowing, and Sardis was captured. And so now we fast forward a few centuries later, Apostle John writing the book of Revelation, and Sardis was a shell of its former glorious self, but they had a church there. It was a young church. It was a church that seemed to be doing all the right things. 
But then you see what our Lord Jesus had to say about them. And this is what he says. He says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. So here, these Christians were a city that prided itself in its past, but they were passive in the the present, sleepy in their action. This church looked the part. They had the compassion. They were doing the community events. They were connecting with people. But in reality, Jesus saw through the appearance. And when he looked at their hearts, he saw they were sleepwalking. They weren't living up to their Christian calling. They looked like a vital and vibrant church, but in reality, what does Jesus say? They're dead. They're stuck in this snoozy, wayward walk. And as I think about them, and maybe you're thinking about them too, how are we slumbering, sleepwalking through our own faith lives? Now, maybe you've come here tonight or you're watching online and there's a lot of baggage in your life right now. I think all of us in the last two weeks just looking at Ukraine feel a little bit more anxious, a little bit more fearful of what the next few weeks, months, years may look like. All of us have broken relationships with people that whenever we try to think about it, it just makes us so sad and so depressed and so we try to suppress that away from our thoughts. All of us have different stresses, different anxieties that we often just want to hide. Instead of confronting it head on, we don't want that darkness to be exposed, and so we try to leave it there. But like in Sardis, Jesus sees through that. I don't know, how are you sleepwalking through life right now? What areas of your life are you trying to just get by without confronting the real issue that's at its root? Maybe it's in your marriage right now. That you're doing all the right things and you say I love you to your spouse and you take out the garbage and you do the dishes and people might even recognize that and say, wow, what a great husband, what a fantastic wife you are. But inwardly, you get really annoyed and irritated by your spouse's little idiosyncrasies and you, you should have an open and honest and loving conversation with them about it, but at the same time, you don't want to mess up this reputation you built up for yourself. See, it's one of Satan's classic lies he uses all the time. It's this idea that if we can keep our pain to ourselves, if we can keep our sins on ourselves, if the world doesn't know about us, if the world thinks that we're this grand, awesome person, then yes, we'll have meaning. Yes, we'll have purpose. Yes, people will love us. Yes, God will love us. But you know as well as I do, that's all a lie. It's a center focused on appearances and not reality. If that's where you and I are, sleepwalking through life, we need someone, anyone, to intervene. See, the people at Sardis, that's where they were. They were so focused on people-pleasing and so focused on appearances and looking the part, but the authenticity was missing. And so Jesus, he says it like it is, out of love. He says, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. I just think this is such a personal message that Jesus gives to these people at Sardis. They knew from their history what it meant. If you fell asleep on the job, you could lose your whole city, everything. When Jesus says, wake up, it resonated with them. He tells them to wake up because he longed for them to avoid the same spiritual faith that they had in their history. He didn't want them to fall away. He didn't want them to be conquered by sin, death, and the devil. And so Jesus in love, he says it like it is. He brings reality to the picture and he says, wake up. I'm not done with you yet. Like he says, your words, your deeds, they're unfinished. See, I have a grand plan for you, Sardis. 
It's a plan that starts by knowing my story of love for you. Don't forget why you're here. Don't forget who you are as a church. Don't forget your identity. It has nothing to do with the appearance. It has everything to do with the heart. For you and me, fellow sin-snoozing sleepwalkers, how does Jesus give us this wake-up call? He does it in a lot of neat ways. But in order for us to see those ways fully and freely, we kind of have to look at the culture we're in. Because let's face it, you know this as well as I do, our culture is so focused on the appearance of things. And whether you're talking about social media likes and followers, whether you're talking about this desire we all have in some way, shape, or form for people-pleasing, there's something about the whole idea of if I can put this facade on for the world, that I have it all together, that my life is in great shape, that I am this great person, there's this illogical, sinful side of us that thinks that if that's true, if people think that, I'll be okay. Where we put all of our stock in who we are and our identity in what people think of us instead of what Jesus thinks of us. I mean, what makes you, you? It's baptism. It's faith. What makes a church a real church? You know as well as I do, there's so many churches that do the community service and they have the awesome kids programs and they do all these different things but they don't have the cross at the center. They're not a real church. See, we all have these blind spots by nature. We all have these holes in the soul that we need someone to call us on. And Jesus, he doesn't back away from that conversation. And thanks be to God that he doesn't. He doesn't let us just scoot by hoping that we can make do on our own. He says, no, you, I know you can. I'm going to say that point blank. So you stop thinking about that. And you find in me and find in my suffering and find in my love for you that answer that you've been so longing to find. See, the people at Sardis, again, they're so focused on appearances. They're so focused on what other people think that Jesus calls them out on it. He wakes them up from that state of spiritual comatose and he says something far different. If you think this is your story, just getting by, just having people like you, if that's what you think this is about, forget it because I have something way better. I want you to wake up to know that there's a God who's so compassionate, a God who is so jealous for your heart that he couldn't bear the thought of you not being with him forever. This is the God who doesn't want you to drift away because I have a place I'm preparing for you. Stop looking at appearances. Look at the reality that I've won everything for you. Look at my words on the cross. It is finished. And see your unfinished story through them. Jesus wakes us up and he shows us the gospel. And so how do we approach that? Now that we are awake, now that we're ready to serve, how do we move forward? Well, Jesus has answers for that too. So I think the people at Sardis, they were asking the same questions. Okay, Lord, if that's true, and you've said it so I know it is, well then what's the next step for us? How can we get closer to you? How can we find this healing from all the sin and shame and guilt? Well, Jesus says one word, and it's just phenomenal. He says, remember. His first word isn't, okay, go do 30 hours of community service. His first word isn't, sell everything you have and become a monk. His first word isn't, do all these things and then maybe God will forgive you. No, all he says, just remember. And what is it that we are to call to mind to remember? He tells us, remember what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. What did these Christians at Sardis heard? What did they receive? You know it as well as I do. It's that very word of God. 
It's that word that we can read even if everything else in life is falling apart. Even if every person on the planet could call you out on all the mistakes you've made. Even if every voice is telling you that you're worth nothing, you remember this word. And you remember that God made you everything. You receive this blessing of God because he wanted you to know that there is a heavenly father who cares about you more than any earthly father ever could. Who is running after you constantly and who wants you to be with him forever. See, Jesus, he's inviting us and these Christians at Sardis to have an open and honest conversation with him. I mean, just look at all the communication words he uses. This word was heard. They'd heard from their pastor the words that came from the very mouth of God, and they had received it. You know, this gift of divine speech, they had meditated on it. They had contemplated it. The Spirit had worked through it. This was this amazing conversation that Jesus wanted to have with them, but it wasn't a one-sided conversation. You know, all of us, we've been around people that just talk your ear off without getting any chance for you to get a word in edgewise. That's not what this is. Jesus wants you to respond. He's not talking at you. He's talking with you, and he wants to hear from you. So what do we say? What do we say in response to this grace? What do we say in response to this self-sacrificing love? It's all encapsulated in one word. Did you catch it? Jesus says, repent. He doesn't say try to save face. He doesn't say try to put the right face on, say the right Christian expressions, don't let people know how you feel. He doesn't say that. He says repent. See, here's the strategy of the devil. What he wants us to do over the next six weeks isn't to sorrow over our sin and marvel at the God who couldn't even entertain the thought of you not being in his family. He doesn't want us to think about that. He wants us to keep focusing on appearances, keep focusing on delusion, keep focusing on hiding. But Jesus wants something so much more. It's this life of constant repentance he has called us to. And this idea of repentance, it has such a misunderstanding, I feel like, among a lot of people. Repentance isn't demeaning yourself. It's not making yourself feel badly about yourself. It's not adding guilt to yourself. It's not that at all. It's the opposite. It's healing. It's insight into the heart of our crucified and risen brother, Jesus. It's these opportunities where you bear your soul to God. If there's one person that you can be yourself with, it's him. He knows you better than you'll ever know yourself. It's running to his throne of grace and throwing yourself at his feet and saying, Lord, I don't know how you can love somebody like me, but I, I know your promises and I know you do. It's seeing him through the word reach out his hand and lift you to your feet and tell you that, yes, it's true. My love is real. If you're ever wondering that, just look to that cross behind me and you know it's true. See, repentance, it's all about three things. It's realizing the sorrow that we have over our sin. It's recognizing it, looking in the mirror of the law and seeing all of our warts and all of our mistakes and all of our pain, but it's not stopping there. It's on looking away from ourselves and our reflection and looking to the cross where you find a God who knows your pain, who knows what it's like, and who won for you forgiveness forever. And it's that joy that you take from that. You want to live a changed life. You want to live a transformed life, not because of compulsion, because of joy. So what does that look like? How do we take this incredible life and repentance and put it into action? We hold fast to the word. That's step one. Even if family members are sick, 
even if we don't know how we're going to make it through, even if the people that we thought were our rocks and our foundation don't come through, we have a God who does. And that's when we realize that we're not sleepwalking anymore, but we're awake. We're awake because we see the cross, and we're awake because we see the God who can perfectly empathize with us. That's the difference between Christianity and every other religion and philosophy in the world. There's no other philosophy or religion where God comes down and suffers just like we do, becomes like one of us and lives the perfect life and dies the perfect death and gives us a life worth living and a death worth dying. Because you are awake in Christ, because you do see the urgency here, don't hold off on repenting. Don't hold off on bringing all of your sins to God. Don't hold off on going to your spouse and going to that friend and going to that child and going to whoever it may be, that brother or sister in Christ here at church. Confess your sins to them. Hear that personal word of forgiveness that's true and it always will be because it's centered and based in Jesus. Face those sins. Look at that guilt, but don't dwell on it, but see the cross through it. Don't try to live focused on appearances because you know the authentic and true grace that Jesus has won for you. And over the next six weeks, we're going to make that Lenten trip to the cross again. And we're going to do it not by slumbering, not by tripping up. No, we're going to do it with sure steps, walking to the foot of that wondrous cross where life and death fought and life won. And we're going to do that by taking our first step, not by running, but instead we're going to go on our knees and we're going to look at Jesus and we're going to say, thank you, Lord, because he has given us a life worth living. And he has awoken us from all of our pain and he has given us truth, life, reality. My dear Christian family, a life of repentance, it's the best lifestyle ever because you look away from yourself and you find Jesus in everything you do. Amen. And to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be all glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages now and forevermore. Amen.